Hey listeners, it's Paul Andriola here. Why not join our community at Small Cap Discoveries where we offer our members direct access to some of the best microcap investment opportunities available. Our members are getting access to premium microcap financings, research reports, and direct access to management. Sign up today at www.smallcapdiscoveries.com. Hi, everyone. Welcome to the Small Cap Discoveries conference call. Today on our call, we have the CEO, Tom Connors, from Cathedral Energy Services. Cathedral trades on the TSX exchange under the symbol CET and on the OTC under CETEF. The company is currently trading at 69 cents with roughly 138 million shares outstanding or about a $95 million market cap. I'd now like to hand it over to Paul Andriola. Thanks a lot, Trevor. Um, yes, you know, we've been talking a lot about energy services uh, over the last uh, couple months and uh, very happy to have uh, Tom with us today to talk about another energy service company that uh, we've, uh, we're getting more and more familiar with, Cathedral Energy. Tom, thanks for joining us today and I'm just going to hand it over to you and you can start your presentation. Good afternoon, everyone. Uh, happy to, to join you today and, and tell you a little bit more about Cathedral. Um, Cathedral is a pure play directional drilling provider. Um, and, and I'll explain to you in a little bit more what directional drilling is, just for people that may not be familiar with the space. Um, but we've been in business since 1998. You know, we're, we're a public company. Uh, about 75% of our revenue uh, comes from Canada right now and roughly 25% uh, of the U.S. operations, so we're a North American footprint. And we're a full service provider. So what that means in the sense that we, we manufacture our own technology and deploy our own technology in the field versus someone who would buy from a third-party vendor and be beholden to their design and times and updates and that type of thing for the technology. Uh, we uh, are present in all the major uh, resource plays in North America. The biggest one in Canada would be the Montney, or the most active, or the, with some of the best economics of Montney and the Clearwater. And in the U.S., uh, you know, Permian, Ainsville, uh, and Eagleford would be areas that, and that would be active in today. So just to give you kind of an over, and North Dakota, I guess we'll talk about that though as we get into the presentation. But just for those who may not be familiar with the directional drilling space, um, you have a drilling rig at surface, and there's a, you know, a steel drill string, and at the bottom of the drill string, right above the drill bit, uh, is a mud motor, which effectively, so you pump uh, fluids from surface, you pump mud, that goes through a drilling motor, uh, and it, it, it's just designed so that it torques the fluid so that it spins the drill bit faster at parameters that you need to drill certain formations. The other component that we would provide is, is called a measurement wall drilling system, so it's a effectively a downhole GPS. So when you're drilling sideways now and they're uh, drilling well bores that are going out like two miles and you've got a formation that is three feet thick and you've got to stay in that formation, uh, the, the GPS, uh, the measurement model drilling tool uh, helps, uh, keep, helps keep in formation, you know where you are. And then what I'd also say, and I'll comment on a little bit more later, is just the reliability of that technology because you're right behind a drill bit. So there's a lot of vibration and you're pounding on rock and you're, and you're going at high rates of speed. Um, so it's got to be reliable because when you, when uh, I was involved with drilling, you know, one of the first wells in the, in the Duvernay here in Canada a few years ago, that took 45 days. Well, we're drilling those wells in 11 days now on a consistent basis. And as you do that and your overhead on locations about $200,000 a day, 
Um, you don't want to be four days into a well and have to pull back out to replace the end of an e-tool. So the reliability and performance of tools becomes really important. So we're a relatively large mud motor company. We have 1,127 motors, which is significant in North America and about 100 end of kit capacity. Um, so what's changed with CET? So uh, a new management team. I spent the last close to 20 years or so with Enzyme Energy Services running Canadian, Canadian operations. I was part of the uh, executive committee working with Murray Edwards. Uh, we had seven different business lines. Two billion in assets, a thousand or more employees, uh, and I started the directional drilling business for Amazon. We actually started in the, in the DJ basin because we were doing what's called turnkey work. We were basically we were flat summing wells to the operator and supplying all the services. We were hiring our own directional drilling contractors. We said, hey, why don't we do this ourselves? We had some success, and then we grew into Canada uh, through acquisition and built the business that way. Uh, they're, they're still in the business today, but not as large as what we were in the past. Uh, we've also got a new CFO uh, came over from Tricam. We've got a new leader for our U.S. group uh, who came over from Precision. And uh, effectively, you know, over the last year, really focused the plan on, on trying to grow size and scale for the business. And and I I joined the company because I competed with Cathedral for a number of years. So they have always had a great platform, good operations, good technology, good people, and saw it as a company that really could get back to being one of the larger um, pure play the North American direction building contractors again. It, it, had, it had all the uh, all the ingredients to make that happen, and I thought it was just a matter of taking the right plan and the right people to put it in place. We have two large strategic shareholders, so Precision, and I'll talk a little bit more about that. Joined, uh, uh, invested in the business, rolled in their their direction building business, uh, invested some cash. Uh, they're a significant shareholder. They're a long-term supportive. Uh, strategic shareholder they believe in consolidation in the space and they believe in the um, uh, drilling technology automation and what the, the part so you get to a point where a drilling rig you can actually program it it'll just drill the well um, but you need to be able to communicate with an mwd tool to help enable that to happen and they wanted to work with someone who had the capacity and the capability to develop that technology Management and the board has been increasing uh, their investment in the business uh, substantially over the last year or so. We now own about 18% of the company. Um, we've just commercialized the latest generation of MWE platform called Rapid Fire, and we've completed three acquisitions in a, in a 25 to $26 million bot deal here in the, in the last, uh, at the end of April, April 25th. So what's changed in the market just a little bit more. I think what's important to understand is that as, the, as we continue to manufacture well force and continue to engineer uh, inefficiencies out of the business, and, and as I alluded to earlier, you take wells from 45 days down to 11, because it's an and they're going up further uh, than they ever have. They're going further sideways. So you drill down and then you go sideways through the formation up to two, in some cases, three miles. The only real limitation is how far that they can is completions technology, um, but they really are drilling at the technical limits uh, of, of the equipment. It's just, you know, a drilling rig can't simply make a connection that faster or, you know, a top drive can't work any faster. Or you, you're getting at those and you're doing it on a consistent basis. So the productivity has improved substantially, particularly over the last decade. There's also what's called rotary steerable, which has been an offshore application. As you get into these resource plays, so the Permian in the U.S., um, there's a bunch of the most prolific ones would be the Permian in the U.S. or the Montney here in Canada. 
Um, there, there's much more abundant use of because they can go further and, and more seamlessly. They can cut uh, they can cut time off well by using a rotary steerable application, which effectively just means you can keep rotating as you versus the conventional way of, of building an angle and turning sideways. Um, but that does create a higher demand for a, a higher performance product. So uh, I guess what I'm trying is the market's bifurcating the, the people and the companies that can provide the technology that can perform at the criteria and the levels that uh, the customers are demanding today is becoming much different than um, those that can't. So if you're just buying off the shelf technology, you're, you're subject to the updates and upgrades of, of a particular vendor who may not be as close to the customer and is not as nimble and agile as somebody who develops their own technology might be. Um, and then of course, the focus the last few years, compressed drilling budgets, uh, capitalist fund, relentless focus on efficiency and, and just drilling programs engineered, like I said earlier to go at the technical limits of the equipment. So all of that drives you know, a demand for high performance and high reliability tools. And there's becoming a difference between those that can provide it and those that can't. And if you look at what's happened in Canada the last few years, in 2014, there were 30 directional drilling companies. So then you layer on a downturn, it started in 2015. Uh, there's 13, uh, a couple of weeks ago, we've been 14, today there's 13 companies, the top three of which are Cathedral, Pace Center, which is 100% owned by Schlumberger, and, and Phoenix Technologies or PHX Technologies. Between the three of us, we have about 60, 65% market share in Canada. So that consolidation has also allowed for you know, larger businesses or more mature companies who can generate the free cash flow to reinvest in the technology and again, further differentiate from a private contractor who's not generating enough free cash flow to reinvest back in his equipment. So we have uh, what I would call our street, our three strategic growth pillars. Technologies, consolidation, organic growth. Organic growth is just really being focused and disciplined around, you know, your cost of service delivery, making sure that we're delivering uh, from a service quality point of view and that we are maintaining our market share, that we have best in industry class, uh, mean time between failure numbers. Uh, and you have to, we have to be a top quartile performer or you just can't stay in the game. So. Um, you know, for companies like us and or Phoenix, again, I would just say it's, it's the top four, those that are providing that technology and can deliver and execute consistently are typically bifurcated from those that are having a tough time sustaining the pace of technolo technological change and performance. Uh, uh, so technology would be, uh, I talked a little bit about the drilling automation, again, as this drilling automation continues to evolve and it's come a long way the last 10 years. You will still need people on drilling rigs, but you know there's not people. It's not like the old rig we see in the past. In a lot of cases, there's no people involved uh, in making connections. It's a much safer work environment than it would have been 10 or 15 years ago. And they continue to evolve around drilling controls and automation. But the missing link in a lot of cases is the communication ability for the rig to communicate with the downhole GPS and understand what's happening below ground. And that technology is a bit of a push, particularly by the larger tier one operators that want to get to a point where um, they can just go rent an MWD technology or the motor technology, pair it with the rig, and they can monitor the wells from a remote location. And that's probably evolving a little faster in the US and in Canada, but we believe Cathedral can lead uh, the progression of technology that way, uh, particularly because we develop our own MWD platform.
So that was this big initiative in, in the sense that we, we want to lead that and not be left behind by it as the market evolves. Uh, rotary steerable technology is, is another differentiator and then just continuing to build out a, a bulletproof, really solid MWD platform. Our biggest focus and our biggest area of growth has been through consolidation. Um, so I, I, I've talked a little bit about the technology already, so I'll focus a little more on consolidation. So why is consolidation important? Or why, is cons why consolidation now? Um, I think, again, I would primarily focus Got a lot of private companies that hasn't been a lot of consolidation. There's never really been any consolidation in the directional drilling vertical. There has been consolidation in the drilling space, the fracking space. Um, so dominated, fragmented by private players that have struggled to generate enough free cash flow to stay current with their technology or their equipment. Um, it is uh, you've also got a bit of an aging, uh, you know, population sense that some some owner operators are getting you know, retirement age and. They, they need an exit. And I think there's just a general understanding that size and scale matters. You've got to have enough scale to reinvest, to have the economies to reinvest, to generate the free cash flow, to, to stay current with it. At the pace that technology's changed over the last decade, and you, if you want to stay current with that, you've got to continue you've got to reinvest and you've got to be able to um, provide the technology that performs you know, at, the, at the levels that the customers demand it. Um, and it's harder and harder to do that as a five-kit private operator. Uh, there are relatively compressed valuations in the space right now versus uh, historical multiples. Uh, we, we believe that we're at early stages of a, of a recovery in, in, in the energy space, probably. I would just say if you look at the lack of investment in global energy infrastructure the last five to seven years, uh, demand really hasn't changed, but the investment has gone like this. So it really would be difficult to uh, globally to, uh, to bring on supply in the short term that could possibly uh, keep up with demand. So we're going to have tight supply demand fundamentals for some period of time in the future. It is difficult in oil services to bet longer than three years, but our, our uh, theory would be that we've got at least three good years in front of us. So we want to um, execute a strategy where we can get, uh, where we can effectively put a motor on the company through size and scale getting as big as we can, as early as we can in the cycle, and then creating a bit of an oligarchy in the sense that you could really dominate uh, two or three people, uh, two or three companies. Uh, you effectively create an oligarchy and, and, and dominate the space so you have a little bit more, uh, you will have more discipline, already seen that in Canada, around pricing. Um, you, you have the maturity and the, and the wherewithal to continue to deliver the technology. Um, and you just get a kind of a more mature industry and sector going forward dominated by larger players. And that's, that seems to be what is playing out. Uh, the other attractive and why consolidation is from our point of view, if you look at, um, again, versus drilling rigs where you know, it's gonna cost me 35 to $40 million to build a rig and I have a million dollars every so many years to recertify it. And top drive costs a million dollars, a month pump costs a million dollars. Uh, the capital intensity around the directional drilling business is, is far lower uh, than it is in other space, other sectors like drilling or, or fracking. So yes, we do have to spend continually to stay current with technology, but you know, we would generally have to spend 25 to 30% of our, our, our EBITDA to kind of keep up with, with the technology and just, you know, in, in a slow year, you could cut that obviously, but just as a kind of a regular run rate, that's what we would see. So if you had a business that was generating $75 million of 25 million CapEx, you get 50 million free cash flow. So free cash flow profile in the direction of space can be pretty attractive. 
So if you've got the volumes, if you've got the market share, you know, the capacity to deliver free cash flow is, is fairly substantial versus other sectors. And then, and correspondingly, because you're not as asset intensive, um, your depreciation is lower, so you also get the net earnings much quicker. And we saw that, you know, in Q1 of this year, we were positive net earnings versus other sectors like drilling or fracking, again, were much more capital intensive and higher levels of depreciation. And, and will be a while before they see you know, consistent years of, of net earnings. Our, our consolidation strategy is, um, for, for us, I mean, you're bringing out, you're really buying incremental market share and then you can deploy the technology as things go forward, you use up their technology and then you slowly introduce yours over time. But it really is about acquiring proven management teams that are willing to take some equity and be aligned with the growth of the, the, growth of the business forward. Um, we would typically target 50% debt, 50% equity. Uh, we don't want to take on any more than one times debt EBITDA, kind of pro forma EBITDA. Uh, we want a profile to get down to being close to debt free within 12 to 18 months after an acquisition. We would only do deals that are accretive. And that's why, you know, at this point, there's an improving outlook. And uh, I would say with a, a lot of capitulation, a lot of fatigue in the market from different management teams, uh, and really with no way out, with no way to, to get liquidity, uh, we're about the only, we are pretty much the only uh, logical consolidator in the direction rolling space. Phoenix is pretty satisfied with their market share. They're focused on their international growth. They're really focused on just deploying more of their technology and trying to grow that way. There's another public company in the US called KLX. They're a little bit more diversified. Um, they're struggling in the space, as I understand it. So, and, and there's not a lot of PE money. There's maybe some family PE money, but there's really not a lot of logical consolidators. And so we see there's some great management teams that are available. You can get them for good multiples. You can do it early in the space and you can get, you can really um, fairly rapidly grow your EBITDA and cash flow profile. And, and all of a sudden you've got a much more sustainable and durable entity than, than you had before. Uh, we've completed three acquisitions in the last year. The first one, as I mentioned earlier, was precision drilling. Uh, I wasn't here very long. I'd worked with the precision management team for a number of years. I'd sat on boards with them. Um, they were at a crossroads with their business. And they just said, look, we would like to have a conversation about rolling our business in cathedral. Uh, we, we would rather be a partial shareholder or a part owner, I should say, uh, or a substantial shareholder in a business that can focus on it full-time than own something 100% and, and only being able to dedicate a part-time focus. So their thought was we could do more with their assets than they could. They rolled in their assets uh, for a discount, really, um, and $3 million cash allow us to invest further. They, they were renting a, a fair number of assets at the time uh, in third party. So rolling the cash that allowed us to get rid of the rentals and, and, and improve the margins of the business and, uh, and, the, and a building that we sold later for cash. And Precision got 13.4 uh, million shares or at the time 17.7% of the company. Um, they're a long-term strategic shareholder. We have a marketing alliance and a technology alliance for developing automated MWD tools. Uh, and we basically have a, a we work on customer, they have, they have a great footprint in the US and Canada, good operations footprint, well, uh, well regarded company with a good reputation. So our sales groups work together on, well, I would say targeted referral, but there's certain customers that they would have an established relationship we can work with to help uh, you know, introduce the directional services to them. And if they have any 
turnkey work where precision is effectively the general contractor, we automatically get that work. So for example, in the US, we're on two precision rigs today. We acquired a company called Valiant Energy Services in September of 21. Uh, the president of the company basically had met with him a couple of times and said, look, I'm sick and tired of competing against you guys. I know I'm going to have to invest a bunch of money to keep up and I'd rather just roll in with you. I could take some shares. I have your technology to introduce to my customers and I can help grow the business forward. So we bought his assets for net value. Effectively, we issued one half million dollars for the shares at the time for the net value equipment. And we had a performance incentive going forward to help him, to incentivize him to build and grow and stay with the company for, for a number of years. And then in February of this year, February 10th, uh, we closed a mud motor technology rental business in the US. Um, a couple of reasons why we like that platform is the U.S. is a bit more of an a la carte model. Um, their 60 to 65 percent of the revenue is directly to E&P customers. Uh, their 60 percent of the revenue comes from Midland, Texas, Texas, uh, and then the rest is split almost evenly between Casper, Wyoming, which is the DJ Basin, and North Dakota, which is actually an improving market. So. Um, we thought they had a very current mud motor technology fleet. It was complementary to ours, a great sales platform selling directly to E&P, and it kind of fit with the evolution of the market in terms of more of the a la carte model. In 2019, they did 25 million revenue. It's not a very labor-intensive business, so 50 to 60% gross margins and 30 to 35% EBITDA margins. Uh, we just had the last couple of months have been record months for us for, for discovery. So we're more than on track to, to beat the 2019. 2022 activity levels look similar to 2019. So uh, revenue, we expect 25 to 30 million, again, 50 to 60% gross margins, 30 to 35%. EBITDA margins, and that, that has been playing out in the market in the US for us. We're actually fully utilized today. So you know, we're looking at ways to kind of expand the assets we, we can or use some cathedral assets to deploy in, in a rental model down there to to help continue to grow revenue. It's also a model we think we could introduce other products, not just mud motor technology, and that we uh, can effectively have a technology rental business and a full service directional business in the US that would complement each other. So the result of those three, and I, I, we did announce on Monday a further acquisition that was really more around technology, um, Alexa Technologies. Uh, Axel Smith is a well-known, well-regarded person in the industry. He's got a proven history and capacity, um, the, particularly around MWD and rotary steerable technology. As, as we look to the U.S. market and, and really building out a, a bulletproof uh, MWD platform, Axel's background and strength was something we thought could, could really help add value to the future. So that's just a, another piece of the strategy and differentiation going forward. But if you look at the combination of you know, where we were and to the impact of, and the torque provided by three acquisitions in the last year. You know, revenue going in you know, 2020, uh, rough year for everyone, but you know, uh, from 41 to 2023, these are Peter's forecasts. I just want to make sure I'm clear about that, but these are not, uh, these aren't our forecasts, but the, the one analyst that does cover us, this is, this is, so we've got 190 million revenue in 2023, 44 million revenue uh, in 2023, EBITDA, sorry, in 2023, and 36 million free cash flow. And so as we, as we look at that profile and we say, what are the opportunities to expand? Uh, 
Uh, you know, if we, through consolidation, if we can further expand that profile and the free cash flow that the business can throw off, it's fairly impressive. And one thing we're particularly uh, proud of, I think is important, is you know, we exited 2020 with 8% market share in Canada. And with the combination of the acquisitions through 2021, we exited you know, Q1 22 with 20% market share, which was higher than PHX. And you know, second, I guess, number, number two behind Slumberger, and they dominate the rotary steerable space here in Canada. So it's that's why they get a little bit higher market share than, than everyone else. But uh, again, the top three players all kind of being the 18 to 20% market share range. So a balance sheet, we just bought deal financing. Uh, we have we have cash in the bank today. Uh, we do have a little bit of debt that, just, that we took on for the discovery acquisition. But we'd effectively, if you, if you took out the right of use assets, we'd be zero net debt today. And the right of use assets, which some people include, some don't, are just the lease liabilities in the future. Our projections uh, as well. Okay, so 31 this year, and 44 next year in terms of EBITDA. A fairly clean balance sheet. And really the bond deal financing is more than was about um, just furthering our, our consolidation strategy, getting ourselves in a position to execute on more deals to go forward and making sure that we strengthen the balance sheet to give ourselves the best possible success of uh, executing on potentially some larger transactions, particularly in the US. So in summary, that our, you know, we believe we're poised to become, we're the only logical consolidator in the space. We're, we're poised to become a leading North American directional drilling contractor, one of the more sizable ones for sure. That would mean 25 to 30% market share in Canada and somewhere 5 to 10% market share in the US. We've been in active discussions with the pipeline of a number of different opportunities, uh, ranging in size. So some, you know, in, in Canada would be more technical, uh, sorry, tuck in type acquisitions uh, that would complement if they added a, a market area or space we weren't currently in. Um, would help expand the company customer base. We would look at that. But in the U.S., um, you've got Phoenix is the largest, and you'd have two or three larger uh, directional drilling contractors. That would be in that 40 to 50 job range, and then there'd be a few in the 20 job range, and then you get down to several in the 5 to 10, 10, 10 job range. But all private other than technically two other uh, public companies, but one of any really substantial size. Um, so we believe that we could uh, execute on a larger transaction that would have something like 34 or 35 to 40 million dollar uh, EBITDA US. That we could get a, a, a transaction done with two and a half to three times at EBITDA type of profile and multiple. So we still get them done for attractable, uh, attractable, attractive valuations. And, and that uh, we can do it in a way that doesn't take on too much leverage and that we would issue equity uh, to potential management or ownership groups that uh, keep them aligned and help them, keep them incentivized to help continue to build and grow the business forward. So, you know, I guess why Cathedral or in summary, we've got a new management team focused on growth. We've got a track record of consolidation. We think there's some great opportunities to really change the trajectory of our EBITDA free cash flow profile, that we can get that done for attractive valuations, that uh, we will only do deals that are accretive so that uh, everything we do have to be accretive to shareholders and that we would want to make sure we identify 
and lock up or align the right management teams with the growth of the company forward and really put Cathedral in a place that's a much more a substantial, sustainable, durable company in the future. And then once you've got that free cash flow profile, then things, you know, either you continue to deploy capital to grow the business or you share buyback, dividends, whatever. It's just there's more options in, in the future. That's not likely things that we're focused on right now today. It's pure, you know, growth or consolidation is we can, we can drive more value that way. You do certainly have more optionality as you grow the trajectory of free cash flow and EBITDA. So Perfect. Perfect, perfect. Thank you. Um, I mean, you've, you've covered off a whole bunch of the questions that I, I was, uh, you know, lined up to, to ask you. So you've done my job uh, for me. <laughs> um, uh, I mean, a, a big piece of the business is M and A. Uh, you you talked to a little bit about um, sort of where you want to sort of go with with or what the pipeline kind of looks like. But with, with the fact that you guys are seventy five percent in Canada or seventy five percent of your revenue comes from Canada, twenty five percent the U S. Um, can, can an investor assume that you're going to try to balance that out, or is that something you're 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 driving? Yeah, no, I'm I, I, I perfectly fine in saying that our focus right now would be more more in the U.S. It, it's a much larger market. You don't have the same seasonality you get in Canada, so you get a more continuous cycle. Here in Canada, every year you get spring breakup mm. the activity, you get the big Q1 bump, and then you get Q2 drops. You, you don't get that in the U.S. and you, tend to get higher levels of utilization and the pricing and margins are better in the U.S. business. So um, yeah, our primary focus, or at least if we were going to do a, a more substantial transaction, that would be more U.S. focused. I mean, in Canada would be more incremental moves. Mm -hmm. U.S. Our, our focus is, you know, U.S. based and, and primarily kind of Texas or Permian based because if you're mm -hmm. going to be in the U.S., you have to be in the Permian. Mm -hmm. Um, and, and then I guess the secondary to that, if you if you're going to go out and um, you know acquire other companies, you, you've just done a bot deal financing a little while ago. Um, you know I would assume that the, the, the sort of the capital markets are a lot more open to you guys than they were you know say two three years ago. But maybe talk to that a little bit. Um, what's it like now talking to investment bankers? What's it like to talk to investors? What's sort of the investment sentiment out there uh, from your standpoint? As it's certainly shifted over the last few months. I, I think if, you know, my own personal view would be that if you look at all the other sectors um, and you're looking for returns, if you, you almost, and you look at what energy has been throwing off the last few years, or the, the E&P companies have had a pretty good uplift the last 12 months. And normally what follows after that is OFS companies because as, as CapEx and investment increases and improves, it has to translate to improved uh, OFS activity. Um, and I think people are starting to recognize that they want to get returns. If I look at some of the, uh, you know, what EMPs have been doing, the next turn could be the OFS space. So they're starting to look at it as an opportunity again. And, and I think there's just a general more pragmatism around. I think people are starting to realize that um, even the whole conversation around a transition, that we've got to be more pragmatic about it. It's going to take a longer period of time. So that maybe we've got to take a real hard crap. And then if you look at the valuations in some of the energy space, that it warrants a good practical look at the at the uh, energy space again, and both EMPs and 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 OFS companies. So I would just say some of the comments. I mean, there's been a lot of generalist investors looking back at the, or starting to look at the you know where, where the value is in the space again, and uh, you know so 
with some of the comments I get, you know, and they make guys say jokingly, but you know, hey, the, the space is starting to look sexy again, that type of thing. Um, it certainly feels like it's early stages, but I think there's a lot more positive sentiment around the, the space in general. Uh, clearly, you're talking to a lot of the EMPs and, and sort of the, the customers out there. Um, you know, with, with oil and uh, natural gas prices where they're at right now, um, we've heard a lot about discipline amongst, you know, sort of the, the EMP players out there. You know, they, they want to return cash back to shareholders. And they're not likely to drill as much or to, you know, um, sort of get back in the fields. Um, what, what are you seeing? What, what you know, and... and what sort of the dialogue you're you're getting uh, into with some of these guys about that uh, sort of type of mindset? I think it's absolutely true. They, they are more disciplined. And it's not the wild west days. It was, and I think it's a good thing. If you look at the operators in general, they really are focused on delivering shareholder value. Um, you know, whether it be that through dividend, special dividend, share buybacks, whatever the case is, and they still have to grow. I mean that. Uh, this business, I mean, you, I mean, you do have decline rates are real, and you you have to keep growing to a degree uh, to stay just to keep your production profile flat. And then, on, on, you know, on top of that, at these commodity price levels, I mean, just the amount of cash flow, even if their capex percentage is the same, mm-hmm. pure dollars are growing, and so the just the amount of dollars are going to translate to increased OFS activity. Mm-hmm. I actually think it's a good thing for the space that I, I don't think it'll get so frothy that you get the silly money running back in where people are starting companies and building rigs without, you know, with, with shaky economics, that type of thing. So I think all the more reason why it supports our strategy. If, if you're a bigger player in the space, you're going to be able to drive and earn good returns and deliver good value. Um, but you're not going to have kind of the silly, uh, undisciplined capital getting spent and things mm-hmm. happening in, and, and a whole new competitive cycle starting all over again. So I think it's a more mature uh, point in the cycle, uh, you know, and with an improving outlook. So I, I think that those are all good things for the industry. Now, um, you know, in speaking with other companies that service the industry, uh, what we're hearing a lot about recently is that, you know, you, you guys are able to actually push out some price increases or their, you know, customers are more uh, accepting of uh, sort of the, you know, the challenges you guys are facing. Are you seeing that? Are you able to, you know, sort of either, you know, get more business or increase your pricing? Yeah, you know, the interesting thing is it kind of follows on the, uh, the capital discipline line as well as it is, uh, people may be increasing their capex, but they're also anticipating, I mean, because of everything you hear in the market and, and what people are seeing, they know that there's some inflation coming and that mm-hmm. inflation is real. And so they're making, I mean, the operators are understanding that price increases have to happen. So I would say we started increasing prices off the trough in about mid 2021, about eight to 10% increases through through there, which mostly kept pace with cost and labor inflation as activity started to improve. But as we get into the first half of this year in Canada, you know, now we're pushing through kind of more like an average 15% price increases which are not just covering inflation, but there's some margin expansion there as well. And we are getting, we are getting that push through, particularly as we just went through a bid cycle here in Canada. Um, you know, for the, starting Q3 activity as we come up spring breakup and the new contracts are, are generally at higher pricing than they were. And in the US we're seeing, um, US always seems to rebound quicker pricing, but it's, it's been more like 20 to 30% increases in the first half of this year. Mm-hmm. 
Gotcha. And, um, you know, speaking of inflation, where, where are you seeing inflationary pressures and, and, you know, sort of secondary to that, what, what other challenges are you facing, uh, you know, running your business? I would say um, almost directly linked one of the, is labor constraint. It's a, mm -hmm. it's a tight labor pool. I mean, it, more so like U.S. as well. I was going to say it, it was more of a prolonged downturn in Canada than it was in the U.S. Um, mm -hmm. Canada really hasn't recovered since 2015. So a lot of people left the industry and just haven't come back. Nobody sits at home and waits for a job for five years. Mm -hmm. um, so I would say constrained experience, we're constrained on experienced labor. Um, being a larger provider of the service, we do have kind of a more of a stable, experienced people that we can we can build off of. But um, there's only you know so much capacity in the industry. Period. There's only so much capacity for the technology, and there's only so much uh, capacity for experienced people. Um, so that would be one supply chain that we were to try and build out. If, if anything, if we were trying to grow organically right now and build more mud motors or more ambiguity. It would be a constraint. It would be hard to deliver excess capacity or to build excess capacity with equipment. It would take six to 12 months, you know, to, to kind of really, to, depending on what it was you're doing, but it could take as long as 12 months. And, uh, and then just general, I mean, our biggest, our, our constraint is people and our biggest area of inflation is, uh, is, is people. Um, so give you some context uh, at the peak, Directional drillers would have got paid $1,200 a day at the trough mm -hmm. in 2020. That got down to about $400 a day. And that's come back to about, you know, you're kind of in that $800, $900 a day range now. So not quite back to peak pricing, but it has moved up from the trough. Mm -hmm. And then um, just in general inflation, I think we're a little bit insulated because we do have some, uh, we have a buffer and inventory with the acquisitions we've executed. There's some parts and pieces that we could burn through there before we, really get pinched by supply chain, and which also has the advantage of being able to use some uh, repair and maintenance, uh, some existing inventory from repair and maintenance to keep our costs down versus paying new price for new items. Mm -hmm. But, you know, that'll only last for so long, and at some point you're going to, you know, we are going to have some cost increases uh, on our end as well for, for different components. Mm -hmm. And, and uh, you know, maybe an odd question, but is there any ESG angle to your business? Are you doing anything, you know, better than others or is there, you know, energy savings, cost savings, things like that, that you guys are able to demonstrate? Well, well I think one of the areas where, uh, that's why we're really focused on uh, our remote platform and removing people from location. So when you think about four people and four different vehicles and lodgings and everything else mm -hmm. surrounding all that. If we can remove people from location and get to a standalone automated MWD tool that you can effectively just send out to a drone rig, that's going to go a long way towards uh, just reducing some emissions and uh, just getting kids safer because you get people off the highway. Mm -hmm. which is the most dangerous part of um, delivering service these days uh, is driving, is, is the highest incident rate. Um, but uh, I would say primarily that's the biggest thing. And we're, we're also diversely, you know, geothermal, potash, lithium, you know, other, other areas that we can deliver services as well. We're, we're active in potash and lithium today uh, and geothermal. So uh, trying to move into other sectors where we can deploy direction drilling technology. And, and I think our biggest uh, uh, opportunity is to just reduce people off location and uh, more remote application 
technology and also just trying to find uh, technology that um, you know, mm-hmm. less off gassing, that type of thing, just more environmentally friendly technology. We are actually focused on developing that uh, type of thing and revolving that as well. Fantastic. Um, okay, so a question came in regarding uh, your financials, and the question is, um, can investors expect adjusted gross margins to stay around the 29% plus that we saw in Q1? Is that, uh, now I understand Q2 obviously, you know, is seasonally slower. I don't know what kind of uh, margins you can imagine sort of into Q that quarter, but sort of longer term, what, what sort of are the margin expectations? Yeah, I, I mean, you're right. Q2 is always, because it's also earning season, bring everything back in repair, so compressive margins a bit. But if I normalize, you know, over a 12 month period, um, certainly would expect it to be uh, in the 28 to 30%, or between 28 and 35% is what I'd be looking for kind of going forward as we get price increases. And you know, with our model, because we've got uh, our, you know, our, our engineering costs are fixed. So as we drive more volume through, then more should flow through the bottom line. So it's in slight margin expansion offset by inflation. So mm-hmm. I expect to be in that kind of 28 to 35% range. Mm-hmm. Now, I'm going to throw you a bit of a curveball question here. Um, you're clearly in the industry and sort of see where the action is. Is, is there any area, geographically speaking, that you think investors, if they really want to see where some, some either, you know, Exciting things are happening. What uh, what what area would you point us towards? The U.S., the Permian, the you know the Clearwater. Where where do you think there's action happening here that makes? Oh, I, I, I think there's a number. I think if you look at, I mean, high level, the gas market in particular is going to have a lot of legs in the future. And if you really look at how that translates in the Canadian marketplace going forward, I mean, everyone thinks Canada's primarily oil. Uh, but it really has been the gas market, if you look historically, that's really made a difference here. And if you look at, uh, um, you know, we're a year or two out, uh, you know, from uh, coastal pipeline being built, and that's going to require 2,000 wells a year uh, getting drilled. That's a lot of activity wow. right yeah. now. So that, that is a difference maker. I would say in Canada, if you look at the Montney, because Canada still uh, is an importer of, of, of diluent today. So... We, you know, for the oil sands, the Montney, not only does it have gas, but it has, you know, condensate, sorry, uh, you know, for dealing with the oil sands. So, I mean, that, that's got strong economics and has kept it relatively busy all through the downturn. So the Montney's an exciting area. And then an evolving play the last two years in Canada will be the Clearwater. Um, Cathedral actually dominates the Clearwater for mm. 20 rigs running in, in the Clearwater in Q1. We were on 15 to 16 of them. At different times during the quarter. Um, and then what they do is it almost looks like herring bones. They go down one single well and they do multiple laterals and they actually go down another level below and do the same thing again. <laughs> Economics are quite attractive in that area. And so, one of our, there's two reasons why we are strong in that area. One is our EM technology is considered some of the best in the industry. And then, second, we're one of the only companies to, to, to have developed a downhole generator. So, what happens is normally directional link providers supply uh, batteries that power the end of an e-tool and the batteries die and they can pull out the place and our generator you can stay underground for you know 200 hours without having to worry about batteries that type of thing so it's proven to be a bit of an advantage and we build out a good platform there uh, in, in the u.s the permian is for sure 
the, I mean, it, it is it is the the market to be in the large market. We just look at the number of rigs and everything else, and it will be for some time. Well, I don't think it's going to be able to bring on production uh, like it did in the past. Um, a lot of the tier one properties been drilled, you know, the decline rates and everything. It's, it's a significant play in the community. But then again, if you look at the gas market, Haynesville in East Texas is closer to market and able to deliver gas and it's really picking up an activity. So let's say Haynesville is an area to look at right now. Fantastic. I mean, we, we talk so much about sort of innovation and technology around your company. Um, try, try to give us a sense of the, the brains behind uh, the business here, because it's, it sounds like there's some really um, neat technology you guys are developing for, for, you know, some crucial issues out there. Yeah, I, I would always kind of compare it. If, if there was a tech play in oil field services, it's in the direction of drilling space for sure. And and so, and, and I would say it is more uh, of a people play. I mean, rigs, if I've got a, a rig that's spec the right way, then, you know, the rig sometimes almost sells itself. I just got to make sure I've got a rig that's spec properly. But in the directional business, it is about deploying the right technology and knowing how to do that. So, I mean, we've, we've got a long history of, you know, Randy Pistanek has, has got a number of patents. He started out with, you know, Sperry, which is later about by Halliburton. And, you know, he's been in the industry since, I don't know, Randy's in his early 60s, but he's certainly been, been around a long time and developed a lot of, and I think he's, he's our, maybe I'll summarize it this way. Our mud motors are, if you ask people generally in the industry, but the people, they would say that we have some of the best mud motors in the business. And Randy's really been the brains and the developer behind the mud motor technology for, for a long period of time. We've also had some long-term employees, but very, you know, people with a lot of 20-year employees here that have been involved in the technology side, so very little turnover there. And so people, you know, we've got an established brand and, and, and platform to build from, so uh, we haven't lost any of that kind of experience and interest. But uh, and now with Axel coming in, I think it'll be a whole, there's some succession there over time for Randy, but we've, we think we've got now one of the better minds and in the business as well to continue developing the platform. But there's two components, the mud motor technology, which is really about producing something that can spin the drill bit faster and perform at the rates people want and not blow up when, you know, at the high rates of speed and vibration. And then the MWD tool, which is effectively a downhole computer. So you're gonna put a, a computer right behind a drill bit and vibrate it at high speeds, it doesn't, tend to do well for computers. So uh, having the technology and the know-how and the expertise around that is just really helpful. And uh, we think we've, we've got some of the best known people in, in the industry that have developed this stuff for years. And we've got a bit of a platform that we, you know, to build from the, 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 from 20 years of history and legacy experience. Mm, yeah, no, definitely. Sounds very impressive. Um, listen, sort of we're, we're at the end here. Um, as investors sort of watching from the outside, uh, what do you think are the key things that we should be sort of paying attention to either, you know, maybe industry metrics or, um, you know, company catalysts or, or anything within the company as, as far as, um, you know, data that we can follow that, that really shows us that you guys are executing on, on your business plan? Yeah, uh, so I would, the number one thing for me is, is I mean, the opportunity for further consolidation to expand or even the profile from you know, the kind of the 35 million-ish fairway to something more like the 75, 80 million kind of fairway. Uh, we're focused on those types of opportunities this year. And we you know, really think it's important to get 
there or if you can cycle. So we'll focus on that. So I would say, you know, is it an opportunity to take a company uh, from you know where we were last year, you know, from a $20 million market cap to a $200 million plus market cap? We think that exists with Cathedral. We think it's a great existing platform. And when you look at us versus say other competitors in the space that might be larger, um, I, I don't generally I'd like rather talk about what we're doing with building grow the business. But if you look at multiples, we, we get a bit of a size discount right now. Mm-hmm. We're smaller. And as we grow bigger, there all should be an opportunity for multiple expansion to trade closer to some larger companies and those types of valuations. And I also think in the future, as investors start to take another hard look back at the space again, and we look at the performance and, and the type of returns to be driven, particularly these commodity prices, which look like they're here for a while, um, then we should have an opportunity for further multiple expansion beyond that for the whole sector. Mm-hmm. Fantastic. And then um, this is your, your opportunity right now to sort of give a key takeaway or key message. What, what do you want to make sure that everybody walks away with uh, today knowing uh, about uh, Cathedral? I think well positioned to be um, you know, a larger a larger player than North America production. Fantastic. Fantastic. Appreciate it. Um, so we've been speaking with CEO Tom Connors of Cathedral Energy Services, symbol CET, on the TSX. Um, Tom, I want to thank you for joining us today and uh, certainly look forward to catching up with you in the near future. Thank you very much for arranging this today and thanks for your time, everyone.